This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Hey there, it's Victoria Taft and the Adult in the Room podcast. And I've been off for a couple of weeks, not because I was lollygagging, but I was so busy getting out audiobooks and my husband was in the hospital. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, it was a lot of work and then now everything's getting back to normal. And so we get to talk with one another again on the podcast and I'm pretty happy about it because I really miss these conversations that I have with real important people. And I'm always surprised and gratified by the fact that they're willing to come on the Adult in the Room podcast and chit chat it up with me. So a little background on what Ron and I are going to talk about. First of all, he's a First Amendment attorney. He's a tech guy. He's a person who's in that space and has made a huge difference in the lives of American citizens, which is another reason why I'm so grateful. And what I'm really excited about is I he's he's promised to come back next week and we can pick up and talk a little bit more at length or get into other things that are uh, worthy of discussion. And he made that offer himself. I didn't even ask him yet. Uh, But anyway, before we get to my interview with Ron, where we're going to talk about uh, changes at Twitter, SCOTUS, what he's working on, let's get some background on this total surveillance program by the feds in collusion with big tech, because that story has made a huge splash. Now, Ron and his law partner, Harmeet Dillon, knew all about it because they're litigating a case about this right now. But the bottom line is this, for those people who didn't uh, read that particular story, we'll put it in the show notes as well and link over to that intercept story. It is using the FBI and the CIA and big tech's influence. They all got together, and this is borne out with emails and uh, whistleblowers and leaked content to the intercept. And they've uh, basically verified, not basically, they have verified that these entities work together to collude to suppress conservative viewpoints on the largest media platforms around. And that includes Twitter and Facebook. And they've been doing it for a long, long time, at least since 2018. Gee, now why would that be? Well, for openers, the Trump administration decided that it needed some way to tell if good information was getting out over the COVID virus. And then these guys just took it and ran with it. And nobody has held them to account until now. There's a process whereby the government directly colludes, and I mean colludes, really actually colludes. We know this by the information in the story that they put the kibosh on certain stories they don't like. Start in the Trump administration where they said, okay, well, we probably should look at some of the information coming out about COVID. And then it just like a bad rash by someone who's, uh, you know, just a bad rash. I just won't even go to that thought picture. And... (laughs) 
man. I mean, sometimes you just got to shake your head. This is so bad. It's so bad. But the the bad news is it got worse under the Biden administration as well, you know. I mean, for example, I work at PJ Media. I write for them and um, I do a lot of other things as well, but I really enjoy writing for them. And when I started, we had so much more engagement. We had so many more people reading our website. We had so many more people allowed, and I say allowed with uh, you know specificity, to share our content. So... Then all of a sudden, at some point in the recent past, I mean, we just got throttled, as did all the other conservative websites. Now, gee, why would that be? Oh, I don't know, because they question authority. How about that? I'm going to get myself a T-shirt. Maybe I'll do a T-shirt for us. And it'll just say question authority. And of course, that's an old bumper sticker from back in the day. When you remember the hippies used to ask that? Hey, you need to question authority, man. (laughs) Now they're just doing it with legal marijuana, but I'm not. I just want you to know that. However, this has been going on for several years, and there's plenty of evidence to suggest it is true, and The Intercept just lands the plane on the story. Stories that made the Biden administration look bad were throttled for shizzle. According to, I'm reading here from the story, a draft copy of DHS's quadrennial Homeland Security Review. The department plans to target inaccurate information on a wide range of topics, including the origins of COVID-19, the efficacy of the vaccines, racial injustice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of the U.S. support to Ukraine. So it sounds as if they were sort of cherry-picking the things that made the Biden administration look really awful. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, um, we're just going to, oh, you know, not, you know not, not everybody needs to see those. You don't, need to, you don't need to see those, do you? Come on, man. So all of a sudden we're catapulted, in, catapulted into USSR land. I mean, you know, the only thing we're missing is Stasi. Wait, 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 wait. We had Stasi during COVID. So anyway, they're asking for forgiveness now, by the way. I'm not sure people are going to forgive them. Anyway, another story for another time. But all of the stories that made the Biden administration look bad were throttled. They were suppressed. Uh, His horrific mandates the fact that they put the kibosh on where the damn virus came from. We believe that we helped sponsor and fund that virus to be created in the Wuhan lab of virology. And all of a sudden, we can't know that? Oh, hell no. Question authority. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. I'm just glad The Intercept wrote the story. And let's give the left their due. I have to say that the left has always been, and they've sort of met the the right on this, the far right as well as the, the far left, they have met on that continuum and have been at the forefront of halting this suppression of information and the suppression and, and suppression of thought and the surveillance state. So they've been there and they called BS on the USA Patriot Act years ago. A lot of people on the right did too. Uh, For example, the, oh, Senator Ron, um, Rand Paul, forgive me. So, and his dad, they were going, oh, hell no, we don't want to do that. Because guess what? They will misuse it because you're not going to believe this. Every time these organizations get 
unchecked power, they abuse it. And doggone it, they did. They really did. They suppressed stories on the bug out from Afghanistan. Now, I don't know about you, but there is nobody I know that thinks there was anything good about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Woo. Clap with one hand. There it is. Uh, Hey, we got to have Afghanistan. What, What did we give up there? I mean, it's insanity. It is absolute insanity. Fine. They said we couldn't talk about it. We couldn't call it insane. We couldn't do that. We are full USSR land. Racial justice, such as being a major grift, the riots, you dare not say anything negative about Black Lives Matter and the riots. Don't you know those were social justice programs? They were just mere protests, and they were mostly peaceful. Couldn't lie, you, couldn't, you couldn't say anything about that. They could lie with impunity, and they would allow those stories to go forward, but not stories that criticized it. The people who questioned authority. I'm getting those t-shirts, man. I'm going to get a question authority t-shirt made. I'm going to make them available to you. We're going to start wearing those, just like back in the old days. Since those programs haven't wound down in high tech, you can bet the same thing is happening about stories currently about inflation, uh, of the fake climate crisis, because they cannot put in their Green New Deal crap, which they've succeeded in doing and ruining our energy supply, which is why cli- why the gas prices are so high and why home heating oil is so high. They have lied. They have lied. They have lied about the climate. You have kids being brought up right now who are so afraid that the earth is going to end in 12 years. They have no hope. They have no hope. Who has deprived them of that? That's right. The media who follow along and never question what the government is saying or climate activists are saying who have the ear of big shots around the world. This is a travesty. You are doing harm to these children. If you think Putting kids in masks during COVID was a bad thing. Just wait till you find out what has happened to an entire generation of kids when you've polluted their minds and led them to believe that they're going to die in 12 years. Are you out of your freaking mind? That is outrageous. And, you know, as a result of not having hope, what are those kids doing? Well, I don't know. Is there a direct line, correlation, causation? to the high suicide events that are happening. We have huge numbers of suicides by younger people. Why is that? Oh, I don't know. Do they not have anything to live for? If you are believing the likes of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and all of those woke people on the left who say that, boy, there's nothing to live for. Um, we're, we, we have got to save Social Security. But by the way, your kids are dying in 12 years. I mean, you've created an entire mentally ill class of kids who believe the tripe that's being peddled by these folks. And I'm sorry to get so, I mean, I'm sorry to get so wound up about it Uh, because I know you're going to enjoy Ron Coleman's discussion with me, but, and it's coming in a minute, but I, I, we haven't visited for a while. So I just, uh, I just get so upset about this. We are in a post-constitutional world. We are in a place where the president of the United States can have his house ransacked for God's sake. 
Nobody's ever done that before. But hey, it's Donald Trump and we're the government. And by the way, we don't like that guy. We're going to bring the full brunt of our FBI DOJ on that guy. You can hate Donald Trump, but you can think that's wrong. And most people do. It is outrageous. And I mean beyond outrageous. It is contemptible behavior. It is corrupt, corrupt behavior. And they're going to throttle this podcast probably for me saying that. Now, worst, worse, I should say, the cybersecurity guy. Remember that guy? The After the 2020 election, he came and he said, this was the most secure election in election history. That last election where they changed all the rules and everything like that. Well, wait till you hear what Ron Coleman has to say about that. This organization from which that cybersecurity expert came is hook, line, and sinker involved in the content moderation going to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stifle stories they didn't like. So I don't exactly hold him in much esteem. Do you? And uh, Ron Coleman has some thoughts about that. I cannot stress enough how this is literal fascism. When government basically says, hey, do our bidding. We can't do it because it's unconstitutional, but we can get you to do it. And we can say that you're doing it because you're a private company. That's what they've been doing. I say the solution to bad speech is more speech. That does not begin and end with me. Someone said that multitudinous amounts of times, but that's true. If you can't handle the freewheeling speech that goes on in the world, I can't help you. I just can't. But you could get your head out of the sand and start reading a little bit and and then just back away, back away from the soapbox. You don't want to be a part of it. That's okay. It's okay. You will not be thought of any worse than we for that. Anyway. So, hey, it's great to be back talking with you. <laughs> I mean, uh, deep breath, cleansing breath, <sighs> cleansing breath. I know what we can do. We can start these proceedings with the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's go over to disgraced L.A. City Councilman Kevin DeLeon to get that underway before we get to Ron Coleman. So take it away. L.A. City Councilman Kevin DeLeon. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Undervisible. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. For which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And now my conversation with a man who knows more about the Constitution than Kevin DeLeon will ever know about the Pledge of Allegiance. Enjoy. Ron Coleman is an attorney who is a partner at the Dillon Law Group, and he's a resident of its New York metro office, specifically in New Jersey. Ron is a commercial litigator. He focuses on trademark infringement, uh, unfair competition, 
First Amendment work, uh, political work and consumer law. He's emphasizing political work and First Amendment work a lot lately. He was the attorney who helped bring the case of the slants. The Asian rock band denied a trademark by the U.S. Trademark and Patent Office because of the so-called disparagement clause. And his work and his colleagues' work were able to have the Supreme Court clarify that trademarks are really private, not government speech, and uh, get your nose out of our business. So welcome to the Adult in the Room podcast, Ron Coleman. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. How did I do on that sort of a sum up of the Slants case? That was, was that kind of it? Yeah, I think that's about it. I think with that, you know, it's uh, it was pretty straightforward. In, in retrospect, it seems straightforward. It does. Was that, how hellacious was that? I just want to, you know, the the preparing that case and getting it to the point where uh, you and your colleagues took it to the Supreme Court. Well, you know, it's funny. I just just this week, somebody was was uh, who didn't didn't agree with my point of views, my point of view, and wanted to talk about what a terrible lawyer I am. <laughs> I think I saw those tweets. Said my about client, that? <laughs> my client did all the work. My ah. client did all the work. So which, that must be why the ABA gave me an award for pro bono work on the case because they figured, well, listen. There's no lawyer on the case, so we'll just give it to the guy who did the half a million dollars worth of pro bono work. Um, <laughs> but you know what? It wasn't really hellacious. In many respects, it was relatively easy. There were lots of exciting moments. We really had a very good idea of where the case was was going. What was exciting was when we found out that the federal circuit basically wanted to use the case as an opportunity to get the law changed by striking down the non-disparagement provision of the trademark registration statute. So once we knew that was going to happen, everything else was just hitting all the marks and crossing all, all the T's and dotting all the I's. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, it did take a long time to get to that point. How many years? I think from soup to nuts. I want to say five years. Wow. That, that seems fast for them. Well, the Supreme Court part of it was actually pretty fast because they took up the case fairly quickly after the Patent and Trademark Office decided to appeal it because you know, there was not much question that it, they that they would take it up because – if a federal statute, especially one that's been in the books since 1947, is declared unconstitutional by a, by a, a circuit court, that's an issue the Supreme Court is going to want to weigh in on, which it did, and it affirmed, and that was that was great. But there was definitely all kinds of drama. I mean, we could easily talk about that for our entire half an hour. Sure, but maybe we want to bring it, bring bring it. Into the 2020s, you know. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Now, uh, your your law partner, Harmeet Dillon, uh, and you now are in the space of tech law and uh, privacy and First Amendment law. And uh, one thing that she said recently at Hillsdale, and I just got it in my uh, yeah. primus, uh, yeah. she said this, and we can use this as a jumping off point for this Interceptor article that we've all been horrified by. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, the tragic events of 9-11 marked a turning point in our nation's recent civil rights history. First, the terrorists attacked us, and then in the name of national security, we began to attack ourselves. It has become almost cliche to say that we live in a surveillance state, but we do. And that's how she began her her speech at Hillsdale. Mm -hmm. And with The Intercept reporting that there is overt, covert collusion between our 
investigatory bodies, uh, you know, like the, the FBI. I think they all fancy them intelligence agencies now and the CIA, along with uh, Silicon Valley big tech companies. We now are the ants, you know, under the <laughs> microscope. How horrified were you by that story, the Intercept story? And we'll take a few excerpts uh, of it and talk about them and break it down a little bit. Horrified? I, 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 I turned over, went back to sleep. So, you know, I, I, Harmy and I have been busy with a case in California where we sued the attorney general of the state of California for doing this exact same thing mm-hmm. with Twitter. And the appeal in that case, which was dismissed because California judges just dismiss any case that you file against Twitter. Um, but it's exactly we we have the proof of exactly what happened uh, before these leaks came out from the Department of Homeland Security. We had gotten uh, th- because of, of a. Freedom of Information Act request under California law that Judicial Watch had done with this state level um, people's commissariat of election security, um, which was which which we knew was doing the same thing. And it came to our attention that they were the ones who told Twitter uh, to, you know, to take care of a little problem, which was that. Uh, our client, Rogan O'Handley, known to Instagram users and at the time Twitter users as DC Drano, was criticizing, after the election was over, the state of election security in California. He was banned for that. That's yeah. fascism, plain and simple. It is fascism when you employ the use of corporations at the behest of the government. That is the literal translation the that is the definition of fascism um mm-hmm. so you weren't you weren't surprised you weren't surprised and and now uh, we find out that uh that's uh the organization that was used in part to uh, you know surveil everybody to go after people for wrong think the cisa that's the, isn't that the same guy who was up at uh, capitol hill saying that the election was the most secure election in u.s history yeah, well, uh, they um, they lie. They lie under oath. They're they know that they're they don't face any um, you know risk for doing so. Uh, but yeah. on the other hand, if, if I suppose if he were actually to be prosecuted for lying to Congress, he would say no. It was secure in the sense that we knew exactly what was going to happen, and we secured it for the Democrats. I was telling huh. the truth, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. How far down the tank is this country anyway with respect to this? I mean, I actually think we I mean, it's a gigantic problem, especially because sort of going to your question, we can't undo either the elections or the effects of these elections, Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what comes out. But it's all fairly fresh. And I don't really think there's any chance, notwithstanding what happened in our case, which I do think is going to be overturned, um, I don't think there's any chance whatsoever that the courts are going to, you know, this is going to to go without being addressed by the courts and hopefully by a Republican Congress. Some oversight. Do you have any assurance at all that these uh, Republicans in Washington will grow a spine and be able to do something about this? Assurance, no. But do I think they'll be better than they were last time around? Yes, because, you know, first of all, we're done with, you know, we don't have a Paul Ryan problem anymore. Yeah. Um, 
and I think you know, will Mitch McConnell get removed? I doubt it, frankly. You know, he's he's a cagey guy, and he's in the business of retaining power. But everyone in Washington is opportunistic, and if the Republicans, especially the new Republicans, but even those who are in power now, if they perceive that this is an opportunity for them to make some hay, because the trend is in the direction, you know, in in the in the direction of conservatives and away from you know the sort of blind acceptance of what Democrats are doing and what government is doing in this country, I think they'll take that opportunity. In the Intercept article, it said there's a formalized process for government officials to directly flag content on Facebook and Instagram and request that it be throttled or suppressed through a special Facebook portal that still exists. Is there any effort underway, to your knowledge, to get that thing off, to stop that Facebook portal from challenging people? No, I I don't think there is. Uh, I would imagine right now that things are kind of frozen in place. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. About, is there any yeah. way to, to fight back against against these people? It was as if a cloud had just come over uh, conservative viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And it was just uh, it was the dark ages for a minute there uh, until Elon Musk took over Twitter. And then it was like, OK, well, we have a chance. The fighting back is going to happen through private litigation. I mean, these are violations. These are civil rights violations. And people who have been directly affected by losing their accounts or especially by losing businesses, which happened quite a bit. I don't want to say especially. It's no more of a constitutional violation, but you do have an incentive and sometimes resources to litigate if you have a business that was really important to your livelihood. And all of a sudden, you know, the plug of it, the plug was pulled by it for political reasons. There are going to be a lot of lawsuits filed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's private litigation. You know, I, I don't I think right now everyone that I talk to and work with, and I mean that in the general sense as well as in the specific sense of my law firm, are, everyone's focusing on the election. And after the election, I think there's going to be a certain amount of tension in the air about what the Democratic lame duck Congress is going to do over the next couple of months. And I, you know, hopefully That'll be a moment for the Republicans to really show us ahead of the change of power that we, with God's help, will see happen in January. That'll give us the opportunity to see what the guys who are in there now are made of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. In terms of de- dealing with what's going on at Facebook and Twitter, I anticipate you're going to see a lot of private action being taking place. And and I also think there are going to be some state attorneys general who are going to step up. Mm -hmm. Like Missouri's has already. Missouri's and, uh, you know, I would be surprised if Ken Paxton does something because if citizens of their states have been affected by this sort of stuff, and they have been, then they're entitled to to run investigations and to use their... Enforcement powers with respect to consumer fraud and, you know, the new social media law that was upheld by the Fifth Circuit in Texas. And there's going to be pressure to be brought, especially, again, when Republicans uh, move in 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 January to um, have that happen at the federal level also. Next step. So next steps are private actions. You know, you'd think and, and maybe oversight on the part of the 
uh, folks, you know, Washington, D.C. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope you're right and I hope something happens. Um, I don't hold out a lot of hope for that because I think that these people are fickle. And I think mm-hmm. you pointed that up. You know, it's in the, it's in vogue now. This is in vogue and they'll just give it up as a bad job at some point in the future when it doesn't uh, doesn't make a difference to them or any you know, public opinion polls, but the rest of us think first uh, free free speech is a pretty big deal. And, um, and it is, is it astonishing to you? I mean, we all know man is fallen and we, we get that. We understand that. (laughs) Is it uh, astonishing to you, however, how quickly people turned to want to stomp on the rights of other people through the COVID, through first amendment, through uh, social media, all of it. Uh, hey, I don't like what he said. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go after this guy. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in an environment where people were astonished to find that their friends and neighbors in Eastern Europe were not only willing to cooperate with genocidal forces, but were actually willing to commit genocide themselves. People who's, whom they knew uh, and people who they grew up with and who their parents had grown up with suddenly became literal murderers. Um, so we see, you know, you talk about fickleness. If people are prepared to do that, then, you know, and and also I I read a lot about uh, totalitarianism and about the widespread extent of informing and cooperation with totalitarian systems that took place under communism and under Nazism. I would never think that Americans are different in terms of being that human beings are different mm-hmm. and human nature. That's right. So once, once this, the signal is sent from the arbiters of propriety and morality and law that th- these things are acceptable, then these things are going to happen. And that's exactly what has yeah. happened. Thank God we're not yeah. talking about murder y- yet. Or at least not directly. Well, I mean, I've just once somebody else uh, pointed out the dogs being sicked on people. I think it was in Australia yeah. over uh, during COVID, and I thought to myself, "How many steps away is that from further harming an individual?" No, I mean that definitely. No, I mean, listen, the, the state, the state it maintains its power by coercion, of course. So once you have this sort of coercion in place, and Look, in an ideal world, you have a society that doesn't require coercion for people to fulfill their civic duties. We don't really have that anymore. We are in a post-legal world. We're in a a time in history where there is a very, very clear two-tiered justice system at both the federal and local levels where there's been essentially no challenge to the proposition that the chief law enforcement officer of every jurisdiction arrogates to himself or herself the power to decide what will and will not be crimes, what crimes will and will not be prosecuted. Right. That's preposterous. Mm -hmm. But that's what we've been seeing take place for years now. And it is, you know, it's beyond 
having become a trend. It's simply the way things work now. Weren't you surprised when you saw the feds all of a sudden go after the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi in his house and all of a sudden it's a federal case? I thought, oh, well, that's yes. very interesting. I'm, did anybody do that on behalf of Brett Kavanaugh or anybody else that was threatened by people uh, who yeah, right. you know, sought to hurt them? And I mean, I just don't even get it. I mean- it's so right. overt, well, and, and that's part one of the question. And part two, where are the attorneys? Where are the attorneys standing up to this? How about your groups? I know ABA is a lost cause, but I mean, how about something else? How about the Federalist Society? Well, the Federalist Society you know? doesn't really have a, a role in telling law enforcement agencies what they should or should not do. Somebody should. Um, yeah, well, somebody should. I mean, here's the thing, going back to what, my, what I said a couple minutes ago, we no longer there's no longer a shame or consensus every uh, the use of the state is now maintained and uh, essentially entirely by coercion or permission so things that would have been unimaginable yeah. when you and I were growing up because who would imagine doing something like this not only do they not hesitate to do it now they don't even make an effort to hide it that's the level of coercion right. that we're operating under now, the level of yeah. disdain, mm-hmm. disdain, overt disdain Absolutely. for the Constitution. I mean, when uh, when Joe Biden can speak into existence a, pr- a program to pay for student loans without ever having to vet it through a legislative body of one kind or another, to me, that's you're in a post-constitutional uh, time and I'm, which obviously is what you're getting at, and right. post law, post legal time, and the uh, nobody stopped him. Nobody said, "Hey, I mean, I recognize he's the president." Don't get me wrong, but I, nobody said, "Hey, by the way, that's unconstitutional," uh, and made a like sued him. I don't even know how one goes about doing that, but it seems to me somebody should make a big thing yeah, about I think that. You're right. The media do or attempt to. No, they should. I mean, but what a bunch of chicken shits. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, yeah, my no, language. You're right. I mean, honestly. You're 100% right. But, you know, people like you and I do what we can by talking about it and, ha- you know, and engaging the public to listen and then make decisions about what they think they might be able to do about it at the local political level. Um, and people such as myself who are in the legal profession and are privileged to be working in quasi-activist employment. So those are those are great opportunities for, for people like me to, you know, mm-hmm. f- find ways. And we do, we brainstorm and we, you know, we talk across, we do, you know, within our firm and with lawyers and other firms and with activists and, you know, uh, nonprofits and agencies, um, you know, there's always a conversation going on about what could be the point of entry to challenging this? What, what could be the soft spot mm-hmm. in that hard tortoise shell of disdain and coercion. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good some people are thinking about gaming stuff out. I, I recognize that some attorneys do, but not politically they don't necessarily. I mean, when they see stuff, overt things that are against against the rule of law and nobody says anything or very few people do, it is an affront to everyone and their rights. And it's just astonishing. It's just the Mar-a-Lago raid, the NARA people, uh, people who are put in in pursuit of people with whom they disagree and they will do anything to achieve their goal, which is to shut up Donald Trump and anybody who might even conceive of possibly with a potential effort to 
Right. Vote for the guy. They want us out of here. They want us out of the conversation. Yeah. No, I mean, just it's, it's what you say. I mean, they and, and it, I think they backed off from this because it probably was not focus grouping well. But la- last the, <laughs> the previous two weeks, and I'm not seeing it this week, there was this constant mm-hmm. drumbeat of saving democracy and and criminalize, yes. you know, and over talk about criminalizing, um, you know, political choices i'm not hearing that now i think they're re- i think they're realizing that it it's really turning people off and it's not encouraging mm-hmm. the people that they thought it would encourage or at least not enough of them switching over to the twitter issue elon musk a net gain um just sort of staying in place oh no it's a gigantic gain it's a huge mm-hmm. gain it's 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 an it's an historic event people are impatient and unrealistic they are almost all people who have no experience with running large organizations or uh, enterprises, much less public companies. There's a very good reason why Elon Musk is not just throwing all the cards onto the floor of the casino. That would be childish and irrational and self-destructive. He has an obligation to his shareholders or his, or his, fellow, his fellow investors to maintain the operational capability and the long-run profitability of the enterprise. And he's going to keep certain people in place who he may be able to, you know, make use of, even though they have in the past been unacceptable. And he has gotten rid of those who he just knows he wants no part of. I'm not surprised. It would be foolish to say, well, we're, we're just going to simply bring back everybody who was banned. I got news for you. There are a lot of people who are banned, especially before 2020, who should stay banned. These were people who were terrorists. Not all, not all of them. I don't even know if it's the majority, but I mean, there used to be people who. You mean like ISIS, <laughs> or <laughs> well, what kind, well, what kind of terrorists are we talking about? No, I, I mean people who Alex who, Jones. Nah, no one you ever heard of. Mostly anonymous accounts who engaged in a lot of harassment and really. Ha- I mean, I remember it was very unpleasant to use Twitter if you were Jewish. Uh, certainly, if you were conspicuously Jewish, as I am. For a number of years, where anything I would I would say that got any kind of attention, I would get uh, Holocaust imagery, and really, you know, oh. swarmed by people who really were, you know, channeling Nazis, and you know, and that you know, people with those kind of they really are bad people who are just all they do is ruin everything for everyone else. But in terms of <laughs> yeah. public, you know, public figures, there's really. There isn't really anyone I can think. I mean, there are people who are just terrible people and they should get hit by a falling tree. But if they want to get onto Twitter and yell at people, you know, I I can I can live with that as long as everybody as long as everybody is operating under the same rules. I mean, to me, the main problem Mm -hmm. isn't the existence of standards, but it's the pretense that they are, in fact, standards. They were not standards. Standards are things that are applied that you can identify and that have some objective aspect to them and they are applied the very word standard implies that they are applied to all with equal mm-hmm. force and right. that has never been the case on twitter that in and of itself would be a tremendous achievement by elon musk but it's already made a gigantic difference we found out in that intercept article that indeed 
It wasn't an algorithmic choice. Right. It wasn't written in the, the DNA of the, the code. It was just a bunch of punk-ass kids out there, and, yep. uh, the ones and zeros working for Twitter that were telling people what they could and couldn't say because they didn't like it. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so outrageous. Now, um, and one of the persons who was in charge of the moderate content moderation was, and the collusion between the FBI, CIA, and Twitter was uh, the, I don't know, she's the EVP or something, who, uh, she was the top, one of the top people that he just let go last week. And so I'm like, yay, slow clap for Elon Musk. <laughs> she's, right. she's, she's a bad chick, man. I mean, I, I, I am glad she's gone. Yes. Frankly, and I'm yes. very glad all of them. I agree with you. Is it ever appropriate to have quotas based on the color of someone's skin? She said, asking about the U.S. Supreme Court. <laughs> appropriate? This week. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's a policy. You know, that's a policy choice. Um, do I think I think it's a terrible idea? I think it, it, it is a corrosive policy, and I think you know, again, a, a state can decide to have that policy. But then you just have to people have to recognize once they choose such a policy that they're undermining merit and achievement and that they're really in the long term not doing any favors to the groups that such policies are meant to help. And, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying anything that much greater minds than myself have not said on this topic. So. The fact that the Supreme yeah. Court put a little bit of uh, hot sauce into some people's um, afternoon coffee uh, with that oral argument uh, earlier in the week, I think, is a very, mm -hmm. very good development for all of us. Do you think they'll throw them out? It sounds like it sounds like that. Well, from your lips to God's ears. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, listen, I really appreciate it. My you pleasure. On, you coming on uh, the Dalton Room podcast and hope we can do it again sometime. Appreciate Me it. Me too. Thanks a lot. So long. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed.